Questions are a natural part of our faith. It's how we work out what it means to live our faith. As a community, discussing these questions together gives us the opportunity to clarify what we believe and think together about what it means to live as Christians in the world. Today, we'll continue this practice by looking at some of the questions and issues you've asked Groundwork this year. We'll discuss questions we received in response to our discussions on the Lord's Prayer, Joshua, and Revelation. Then we'll discuss where we find hope in light of the issues some have shared about their most pressing things in our faith today. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. At Groundwork, we always encourage this. At the end of every program, Daryl, we always say, send us suggestions, send us your questions, your thoughts, what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. And some of you do. We uh, get emails, we get regular postal letters, we get Facebook messages. And so we're we're glad to know that you, uh, the listeners, are listening, and you're listening well. And therefore, you ask us some follow-up questions on some of our series. And we appreciate the fact that you reach out. It means that you're engaged. It means that you're paying very close attention. We know that you love the word. We know that you want to grow in your walk with Jesus. And so it's great when you're able to ask questions because our faith, Scott, it gets stuck at the question. If we can't understand what we're doing or how to live, then we kind of get stuck there. So I know we're not experts or super scholars, but we will do our best to look in scripture to help people when they bring questions to us. We had a uh, series on the Lord's Prayer uh, not long ago, and uh, had a couple of questions that have come, and one particularly tied in with that part of the Lord's Prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so a questioner named David asked us exactly why do we say that? What do we mean on earth as it is in heaven? Are we supposed to be building a paradise here on earth? Uh, are we trying to build the kingdom on our own here on earth? What, what do we mean by that uh, when we say that in the Lord's Prayer? I think it's very important, and it's always going to be something that we lean on as a host of this show, Groundwork, is that we're going to allow the Scripture to give us the context on what we are to learn and how we are to respond. So when Jesus brings his prayer to his disciples, he's trying to get them to understand that the kingdom of God is actually here. It's at hand because Jesus brings that in his ministry. It's the first message he tells his disciples to say. And so the kingdom of God is something entirely different than what this world is. And so I don't think we should focus on what's happening here physically because it's a spiritual kingdom that is in breaking into our world today. That's the first thing. Right. And by the way, I think we may have pointed this out in the Lord's Prayer series. And if we didn't, we should have, but I'll do it now. Sometimes we we read this as two things. We read your kingdom come. And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as though it's just the will on earth. No, it's both. Your kingdom come and your will be done both on earth as it is in heaven. And you're right, Daryl. I mean, that's a, that was Jesus' first sermon. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's breaking in. We see that all through John's gospel, where the miracles in John are always called signs. They're arrows that are pointing to how close the kingdom is. Not every person in Palestine got healed during the years of Jesus' ministry, but every time he did heal somebody, it was like an arrow pointing to the nearness of God's kingdom. It's breaking in. It's coming. So we cannot make a paradise on earth. We cannot build the kingdom of God here. But in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, what he is saying is, you know, we carry two passports with us, Daryl. I got a brand new passport just recently. I'm a citizen of the United States. 
But the invisible passport we carry is, says I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, too. Dual Both. citizens. Dual citizenship. And Paul talks about that also in, in Philippians, that we are dual citizens of this world and at the same time of the kingdom of God. And so in our lives here, we want to show that in, you know, we said in the Lord's Prayer, you know, what is a kingdom? God's kingdom is that area, that zone of influence where God's will calls the shots. And so when we live in a way that it makes clear in my life, God's calling the shots. That's our witness on earth as it is in heaven that that we are citizens of God's kingdom. The beautiful thing is that in heaven, they're not confused about that. And in the Mm. book of Revelation, he shows the vision happening in real time of how God's worship is happening at the exact real time of when God's worship is happening. And if we live as worshipers of God here, then we are actually agents of the kingdom. We had another question related to that Lord's uh, Prayer series, kind of related to the end of phrase, which is actually not, as we pointed out in the Lord's Prayer series, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That wasn't actually in the Bible that Jesus didn't say that. That's been added by the tradition of the church. But uh, a listener named Keith, that led to him wondering about some things about, about Scripture itself. What parts of Scripture do we look at? He mentioned, Keith mentioned that some people think that we shouldn't study the Old Testament, only the New Testament, and even in the New Testament, you know, some people think Paul is more important than the other apostles, or we got red-letter Bibles, are we supposed to find more authority in Jesus' words than in other people's words? You know, how do we think about Scripture on this earth for now? And I think that it's actually a, a good question. I just wanted to say, first and foremost, Keith's been listening for years as he wrote in this question. So thank you, Keith, for listening. Thank you for being a part of our show and being a part of wanting to grow in your walk with Jesus. You mentioned there's this uh, quote that he said under the blood. I think it's interesting because some traditions believe that that when they say something's under the blood, the idea is that out of the essence of Romans chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood, if it's under the blood, it means that Christ has paid for it and atoned for anything that will bring shame, guilt, or condemnation to you. But in this situation, I think that it's being used in an oversimplification of, okay, you can do whatever you want because it's under the blood. And that's exactly in contradiction of what Romans six teaches that we will not continue sinning that grace may increase because Christ has paid the way. So hopefully that context isn't overly simplified in the use of it as it's under the blood. And insofar as um, this question also talked about, you know, how do we think about the Old Testament? How do we think about Jesus' words as opposed to other people's words? I think it's fair to say, Daryl, that we believe, you know, uh, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And and by the way, when when Paul wrote that to Timothy, he wasn't talking about his own writings. He didn't know his own writings were going to be considered Scripture. He's talking about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So all Scripture is God-breathed. It's all authoritative. And, you know, sometimes those red-letter Bibles make it look like, oh, well, these are the more important parts. Now, we don't think there are more important and less important parts of Scripture. Kind of in our Reformed tradition, we believe it's all God-breathed. It's all inspired. It's all authoritative, um, Old Testament and new, right? Uh, somebody once said something to, along the lines of, in the Old Testament, you know, we have Christ hidden, and in the New Testament, we have Christ revealed, but it's all one message. It's all one plan of salvation, and it's all equally authoritative. God has his full and final revelation in his word, and we don't need to pit parts of the word mm-hmm. against each other. All of it is going to help us if we look in it and we are careful to listen and see what God is saying. But as we continue in this episode, we want to address other questions that other people have had. So stay tuned. 
glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, this is one of our annual programs where we consider the questions that our listeners have sent in across the past year, again, on email or through our Facebook or a regular letter in the mail. You've asked questions, you've raised issues, you've made suggestions for future Groundwork series, and we always encourage that and appreciate that. In recent times, we've had a couple different series. We had a series in the book of Joshua and a series on the book of Revelation. And in this second part of this listener question program, we're going to look at a couple questions that emerged from each of those series. So there's one that is in response to the book of Joshua series. God keeps his promises and provides for his people. And a listener named Brent wants to know exactly how much time has elapsed between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And he knows that it says generations with an S, but he's trying to figure out what, how much time that is. Yeah, and promise and fulfillment is a major, major, major part of Scripture. In fact, uh, at my seminary, when I'm helping our students get ready for their big oral comprehensive exam before they graduate, I tell them, you know, we often ask you questions about the Bible that tie in with promise and fulfillment. So be sure you review that stuff because it is very, very important. In Scripture, God is always promising things and then helping bring them to fulfillment. God promised to Abram in Genesis 12, that he would become a mighty nation, and that through that nation, all nations of the earth would one day be blessed. That's a big promise. And then God carries out that uh, in all of Scripture. The thing to remember, so Brent asks a little bit about how much time between promise and fulfillment, but one of the things I think we need to remember, Daryl, is that promise and fulfillment in Scripture happens on a rolling basis. It's never a one-and-done thing, right? The ultimate, ultimate fulfillment of all God's promises haven't happened even yet. That'll right. only come when, when Christ returns. But we get a whole series of mini-fulfillments all along the way. I think the first thing is for us to understand, in light of that, God is standing outside of our time. He is eternal. That's what it means, that he does see everything now, past, present, and future, all of humanity, all of history. And so promise and fulfillment for God means something different than it means for us who live in real time. And we're bound by this time. Uh, The fact that God is the one who is the one making the promise as the real emphasis here, because if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it, it just shows the hall of fame of faith and people who believe. But it also mentions that Abram never received mm-hmm. the fulfillment of his promise, but he believed in the one who would promise. So I think it's most important for us to understand who is promising. And sometimes time and temporal things, the tick, tick clock on the walls is not how God is actually looking at it. Exactly. And we've also said when we've been in the prophets, so this question spun out of the Joshua series, um, but when we've looked at prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, we talk about how prophecy isn't just foretelling the future, it's forthtelling the truth of God. And when the prophets make promises or when they repeat the promises of God that God revealed to someone like Isaiah, what we, we see is that there's multiple horizons of fulfillment. 
There's going to be an ultimate, ultimate, ultimate fulfillment, sure. Uh, so, you know, when, when Isaiah promises a Christ, well, ultimately that's going to be Jesus. But there are, there are many anointed ones, even Cyrus, who released the Babylonian captives, you know. Cyrus was called a Christ because God anointed Cyrus, king of Persia, to do this task of letting God's people return to Israel, to the Holy Land. So we look for multiple horizons of fulfillment, not just a one-and-done thing. That's good news because it reminds us, Daryl, that God is constantly active in our lives, in the church. We are living in in between times, right? We're in the already and the not yet, but we get lots of little fulfillments all along the way to encourage our faith. What's the beautiful thing about that, Scott, is that God could be making promises to us that may not even manifest into our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren's lifetimes uh, should the Lord tarry his return. And so the God who is making the promises is the faithful one, and that is who we focus on. But I think, too, there is a Another question in the book of Revelation that we need to talk about, and Kurt, who listened, he just simply emailed pre-mill with a question mark in response to our Revelation, A Comfort for a Believer series. And I believe he's referring to premillennialism, and I think we need to just break that down and talk about the millennial views if we can. In in Revelation chapter 20, you know, we do have this uh, notice that John of Patmos is, is talking about an angel coming down and, and, and seizing the dragon who is the devil or Satan. And, you know, we read, uh, he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Uh, and then there's another uh, reference to thousand years. So a millennium. How do we think about the millennium? And there are three schools of thought, Daryl, premillennialism, postmillennialism, and something called ah millennialism. And it does go to how you interpret the book of Revelation. Premillennials uh, believe that that thousand years is still to come. They kind of break down Jesus' second coming to stages. And after Jesus' initial coming, he's going to sit on a literal throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years before the final end comes. And so they are premillennial, and they think that the thousand years John refers to in Revelation is still to come. The clock won't start ticking until Jesus comes back initially and sits on a throne in Jerusalem. As you can tell, too, postmillennialism is the opposite of that. So the thousand-year reign will come first, and then the end will come, um, is what is believed there. And I think between the two views, we've seen that there have been a lot of Hollywood movies and a lot of things that have attached themselves to them. The Left Behind series is based on this notion, and sometimes people can read those books or they can get caught up in some media or sermons or pastors teaching this, and they can get a little bit afraid about it. But I think that the book of Revelation is designed to give us hope and comfort. And I think it's really important for us to know what we are to respond with as you talk about amillennialism. Right. Post-millennials, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist tradition is a post-millennial. They believe Christ had made a secret second coming sometime in the 19th century, and that was the, the end of the thousand years. So we're on the other side of the thousand years now. But the Reformed tradition, and this was reflected in all through our Revelation series here on Groundwork, we are amillennial, and that means we take the millennium metaphorically, symbolically. The, the thousand years is the entire time of history until Christ comes again. And when Christ comes again, it'll be one and done. He will return once and for all. We're already, as it were, living in this millennial time where Christ has defeated the devil, 
but the devil is not completely gone yet. It's, again, as we talked about earlier in this program, we live between the times in the already and the not yet. And so amillennial traditions, which represents a, a lot of the church, not all of it, but a lot of the Reformed and Protestant traditions, and I think the Roman Catholic tradition as well, we take that millennium in the book of Revelation symbolically. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't think uh, it is still to come. We don't think it's already happened and is done. We're in the middle of it, and we will be in the middle of it until Christ comes again. That's just sort of the distinction there. But as we close this episode, uh, we'll take the remaining time we have to discuss some of the issues our other issues our listeners have identified is very pressing for their faith right now, and how do we maintain hope in this fragmented, broken world? We'll talk about that next, so stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And again, Daryl, in a periodic survey of our listeners, we, we ask you to tell us some of the most pressing issues for your faith right now. And, and three individuals uh, shared issues that probably resonate with all of us. One person noted that, boy, you know, society seems to be falling apart. Society seems really fragmented and fallen and evil. How do we deal with the world around us? A second listener said, how do we stay focused on what God wants us to do when there's so many other pressing claims for our loyalty? And how do we remember, a third listener said, the reality that Jesus is preeminent? How do we hang on to that hope when we can't see any evidence of it around us? How do we hang on to the hope that Christ is on the throne and he is still above all things? I know that first and foremost with the growing dissatisfaction that's happening and with all the bad things that seem to be going on, first and foremost, we hear you. We resonate with that because the world is broken and there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's challenges of all kinds, there's divisions, there's famine and all these things that are happening. But as we talked about in the first segment, the kingdom of God is here, but it is not yet fully here. Hmm. So it is actually in breaking of God's kingdom into this broken situation. And there's an overlap, a Venn diagram, if you will, where God's word is coming in and his power is coming in and the brokenness of this world is not fully dispelled. So we can see in the midst of brokenness, hopefulness, in the midst of challenges, we can still have faith in a God who is working out the solution, but it just takes a little longer for some of us. And so we're learning patience, we're learning hope, and we're learning endurance together in this situation, this complex. Yeah. And I think we need to remember too, Daryl, that Sometimes, and I think we all experience this once in a while, you know, sometimes when we look at the state of our world, we look at the nation in which we live or the society of which we're a part, and we kind of despair. And, and maybe sometimes it almost seems surprising to us. I mean, wow, shouldn't the world be better? Shouldn't, you know, sometimes we're even tempted to think, well, we ought to have a Christian nation. We, 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 ought, to, we ought to have, a, you know, a Christian society. But I think it's important to remember that we shouldn't panic when we see that, in fact, 
culture is not Christian. Jesus told us that was going to happen. The world will hate you because it hated me first. Right. right? The world will persecute you. It'll put me to death eventually. So we shouldn't get knocked off stride with our faith when we notice how bad things are. Jesus told us they were going to be bad. And Jesus told us in things like the Beatitudes, you got to learn to fly upside down, right? You got to learn to live with being out of step with society because the church is called to live a countercultural life. We shouldn't expect the culture to affirm our faith or reflect our faith. We should expect that there's going to be a difference. There's going to be a gap between society and the church, and that's okay. We can witness in that gap. We can call people out of their darkness into the church. Of course, we want that to happen, but we shouldn't be you know, think that our faith, that something's wrong uh, because the world isn't better than it is. God is working, even though exactly. we cannot see it, even though it doesn't happen in the time frame we think it should happen. It doesn't mean that God isn't working. And as far as the person who talked about us keeping focused on what God has called us to do, one thing to think about is that it can be easy to pigeonhole what we're called to do and try to put up quote unquote blinders to say we need to focus on these things. But I think that if we follow Jesus' example, we will see that he went around doing good as Acts ten thirty eight said he did. And it also that he was the restorer of Shalom and the agent of transformation. So as long as what we're called to do is doing that in a corporate way, I think that will be on the right path. And, you know, we think of Psalm 46, too, you know, but how we have to keep our faith, even though the nations rage, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though everything is shaken. That psalm, I think, was probably the most preached on psalm after 9-11 in 2001, after the terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. So many pastors preached on Psalm 46, but we keep our eyes on God our rock, our refuge, the one who is stable when everything else around us is not stable. And how do we focus on that, Daryl? How do we discern uh, God's uh, desire for us? How do we, as the third listener said, how do we keep focused that Jesus is on the throne? I think, Daryl, this is where spiritual practices come in, right? The the disciplines of devotions, uh, of scripture reading, of scripture study, of prayer, maybe of fasting. We need to do what we can to keep ourselves in the Word. Here on Groundwork, we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. We say it every program, but indeed, Daryl, that's what we all need to do. Keep digging into God's Word and lay the foundation for our lives, a foundation that, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, don't build your house on the sand, because when the storms come, it washes away. Build on the right foundation. And that's what God's word gives to us. And that foundation, Scott, says that we not only listen to the word, but we put it into practice. Mm. So we live out the scripture that we're reading, that we live out the scripture that we're studying. And it gives us the fortitude, the spiritual fortitude to take the wind and blows and different challenges of this world. But also God has given us a community of believers. So if I'm isolated in an individual way, away from other believers who could encourage me and I encourage them, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves mm-hmm. because we can encourage each other and say, hey, hang in there. You're going to be it. Or I've been praying for you. Where have you been? I, it's good to see you again, because this will also give us the hope that we need. And we pray for each other in the community of faith, right? Sometimes we have to let other people believe for us because I'm in a season of doubt or something horrible happened that has just gutted my faith. It's hard for me to sing on some Sundays. 
other people sing for me. Right? It's hard for me to pray some Sundays. Other people pray for me. And then the, I'll get my turn. I'll pray for you when you're in that same season. You know, encourage one another, Paul says, all through the New Testament. Encourage one another because you need one another. Bear one another's burdens. I think those are the ways we stay focused on God, on God's will for our life, on God's sovereignty, uh, that Jesus is still on the throne. I think it's very important for us to remember who is in complete control of every situation. That's the prayer that I pray every day, knowing that God is the one who can help us and give us strength. Thanks be to God. And thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. We've got a website, groundworkonline.com. Go there, share what Groundwork means to you, or as we've seen in this program, ask us questions or make suggestions for what you would like to hear next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.